Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for a great episode of the show with Dan McCormick from Create Creatine Gummies. You may know him as the author, co-author of the Weekly Dose of Optimism newsletter alongside his brother Packy. I won't try to totally untangle exactly who writes what part of what from these guys, but I've subscribed to very few newsletters. It's one of the ones I subscribe to. And then in the midst of subscribing to that and getting some information about why the world is getting way better, way faster than you possibly think because of tech. On top of that, Dan is the founder of Creatine Gummy brand that is growing very fast. And Dan has built in public in a way that few people build in public in terms of the level of transparency. People talk about building in public. Dan is being very transparent about it on Twitter and therefore he's a great follow there. So let's jump into how Dan has built, create what he's attempting to do with it, where it's trying to go and what has made it into a company that in the last month did over $500,000 in revenue, is profitable and uh, has a really big upside for all kinds of reasons. I'm a believer in the brand and what Dan is doing because you can just see it. If you just understand at all what he's been talking about, you can see exactly why the whole thing works and makes sense and surely will lead to millions and millions of dollars of huge uh, <laughs> outcomes for him and, and his partners. So, okay, let's not delay it anymore. Dan McCormick is here and we'll jump in. Dan, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast. Thanks for making time, man. Andrew, happy to be here. Thank you for that kind intro. Yeah. Well, it's a really interesting thing. Like, did create for me... Like the first time I saw it, I was like, genius idea, that's for sure going to work. It was just like a sort of a no-brainer kind of concept to me once I saw it. And especially because over time, and maybe this is a good place to start, I have refined my own sense of what I think makes the right elements of a good D2C brand and a good D2C opportunity. And so I would actually like to start there with you. So tell people what Create is first and why they should be taking creatine, specifically in the form of a delicious gummy. I was actually already there with you on that point. So that part was also easy for me to see. But why that? And then I'm really curious to hear you talk from the beginning about why you thought this made a good D2C opportunity for you and and what you saw in not only the product, but in sort of how that could be something that fits specifically in in the method or in the model of D2C as much as that was in your consideration. Maybe it wasn't, but yeah. No, it seems like you've read some of my tweets. A, a lot of the thinking about why I wanted and, and why I should start this company starts with like, I think there was a really good D2C opportunity here. But taking a step back, creatine is a supplement that I've been taking since high school. Like many people, uh, for the first time I took it during freshman football, I uh, soon after freshman football realized that, you know, I was about 5'8", 160 pounds and no future playing collegiate or professional sports. So I switched to running cross-country track three seasons, but for whatever reason, stuff with creatine supplementation uh, throughout my high school cross-country track career, I think probably one of the few high school runners actually taking creatine. But I say this to say like, it's a supplement I've been taking for 10 years, always had a really positive experience with it, never really experienced some of the negative side effects that at least like you'd hear about in the locker room, right? Like kidney disease, uh, hair loss, acne, bloating, all the things that people talk about when, or at least they used to talk about when they talk about creatine. I never experienced that. And I wasn't your kind of poster boy creatine user, right? I wasn't a bodybuilder. I wasn't a athlete that required huge muscles or, you know, super high levels of strength. But again, it was something I always really enjoyed. Fast forward, you know, about a decade, decade and a half, I'd been in the e-commerce world for about five or six years working at 
these kind of high growth venture back D2C brands, Away, Parade, Nameset, I think at some point have, have definitely been, you know, kind of top tier and, and have kind of, to some extent, fallen to the pressures of the D2C game, which is a super, super hard game. It's a tight rock world, no matter how much money or venture you've raised. And so that's my personal story. Like it's a supplement that I've been taking forever, really believed in, never really understood kind of that neg- negative stigma around it. And so when I saw creatine, I kind of like sniffed in the, the air a little bit that creatine was about to have a moment. New research was coming out or existing research was starting to be popularized on podcasts like Andrew Huberman, Peter Tia, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, like randomly like creatine was suddenly being discussed on the top, call it like five podcasts in the world. And that combined with kind of a, a bunch of other factors cause, was causing creatine search volumes to skyrocket in late 2021, early 2022, just around the time that I was looking to start a business. And why I thought this was a good opportunity, one, the idea of like destigmatizing a compound or a medicine or a product, like we've seen that playbook in D2C time and time again. And creatine was just like so ripe for that. There's so many misconceptions, so many myths that can be easily reversed via research or better education or just more approachable branding. So creatine as a compound was ripe for that. But when I looked at kind of like the underlying business characteristics, it also was, I think, a really good opportunity. Creatine is a supplement you take every day. It's a supplement you don't really want to churn on and off of. So it had really sticky retention characteristics. Two, it had a kind of a a core customer base of fitness enthusiasts but it was otherwise really underpenetrated in the mass market. Our belief was that creatine supplementation is something that can benefit a very high percentage of the population, but only 2% of people took it today. But that 2% of people really freaking love creatine. And so you can kind of have that core user evangelize it to the rest of the, the population. Three, structurally high margin. So supplements generally are relatively high margin products, collecting more more of each dollar that you're selling is really one of the few ways that these D2C businesses really work today. Like you, you really need strong margins unless you're a super high volume business. And then third uh, or fourth, rather, you know, I thought you could build a really strong standalone D2C.com business with this, with subscriptions and repeat and just better Facebook ads than most creatine brands were using. But I thought there was a really natural transition to Omnichannel so D2C, Amazon, you know, 70% of supplement searches and conversions happen on Amazon today. And beyond that, retail, brick and mortar, you walk into a Whole Foods today, it seems like 15 to 20% of the footprint is, you know, taken up by collagen. Collagen uh, certainly had its moment. I think if you compare collagen to creatine, the science is definitely in favor of a, a compound like creatine. And despite that, there's not one gram of creatine in my local Whole Foods. So I think there's that retail, that brick and mortar omnichannel opportunity kind of out there for the brand that's able to establish itself as the most credible in the space. So that was kind of a mouthful, but that's how I, I started well, creating. I mean, so I think it's so helpful. I mean, you said it's a mouthful, but what I hear in that is clarity, you know, it's just like veteran clarity. Like you said, you came from these other brands and probably could see what was happening economically in those businesses and what worked and what didn't work about D2C as a business model. I've heard people sort of critique the idea recently of D2C as a business model. They say D2C is a channel. It's not a business model. 
I get what they're saying, but I also think it's kind of wrong. Like D2C actually yeah. is, it's probably semantics is what it really is, but it's, it actually does have some elements that work particularly. And I think a couple of those are, first of all, the notion of an owned customer relationship, which was the thing we all got really excited about at the beginning of this. It was like, oh, you own the relationship with your customer, you know. That is only helpful if you have a product that people are going to come back and buy multiple times. And if it is that kind of product, then it's very helpful. And it's like, it's like a massive advantage of the channel. And this is where something like Create makes a lot of sense because it's an obvious case for subscription. What's more with Create, like because it's a certain number of things that you take, it's very easy to subscribe to it and not have the friction of like, how often should I set my subscription at? Like if I'm going to take, you know, two gummies a day or something like that, and I get a 60 pack that lasts me for 30 days and I can just set my, you know, it's like very easy to kind of figure that thing out. And so it has all the elements that make subscription a really valuable thing, both great for the customer and great for the brand. Like it's, it's, it is, you know, the promise of subscription as being something where it's like, I don't have to think about it. It just charges my card and it shows up when I want it to. That's great for certain things. I subscribe to my coffee. I subscribe to my creatine, all of those kinds of things. As soon as my current bag runs out, I'll probably make the switch, Dan, just so you know. But yeah, the you know, those kind of things really work. And then I think the other element is like the ability to scale with, well, margin protection via going direct to consumer. That is another great promise of D2C. And what everybody sort of didn't see coming there was that instead of the third party of a retail person or of a retailer, right, who's going to eat away at your margins, the third party now is Zuck. And Zuck eats away at your margins, except that you can actually use that really, really well, just like you can use retail really, really well for some things. And so in your in, in the case of, of a brand that has high margin and high LTV, it is so ripe for the clear third party, which is Zuck, to be a great channel for you to acquire customers because, because now you can spend a lot at uh, break-even CAC or whatever. You know, there's a lot of strategies you could approach with, with how you set your CAC there. But at the same time, that customer's worth a lot of money to you long-term and has high margin and you retain that margin and you don't have to go back to Zuck for the second purchase. So it's like, it's a really, it's really, really helpful for that. And then third, I think you can probably grow your team pretty lean and scale really, really effectively, which I think is, is maybe the core value of, of D2C. We haven't talked about your team really, so I don't actually know how lean it is right now. But my guess is that as you have scaled, you know, I mean, you've, you've shown over $500,000 in revenue in September off of what did you do in January? You posted this chart somewhere, but I don't have it in front of me. January was 60K. Yeah. Okay, great. So you 10X to the business, right? Over the course of however many months in this year. And I bet you didn't have to add many heads to do that. Like, and that's because D2C just scales great. And as you keep scaling, it'll scale even better, I think. So, you know, I remember hearing a ButcherBox interview where the, the founder or CEO there was talking about, it was like two or 3 million bucks in revenue per head that he had hired. And that's just like impossible in a lot of other businesses, but it's because it's D2C. And so there's all of these elements of it mixed with what you're saying about the market and the demand side and the fact that creatine is the most supplement, studied supplement in the world. And it, and it just works. Like, it's just good for you. You should take it, you know? So it's, it's, it's sort of fascinating. I've talked on, on basically everything you just said. Like, okay, all right. Well, pick, pick your favorite and go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So D2C as a business model, thinking back to, I guess, 2017, 2018, when I was at Away, kind of like a Gen 1 D2C high growth business, there was so much focus on cutting out the middleman, owning the customer, customer relationship, you know, and they a direct one-to-one relationship with the, the customer. That was like, you know, we would make infographics around it, showing like cutting out the middleman and, and all this stuff, right? And it turns out for someone like Away, it actually doesn't matter 
right? They're selling you at most two products a year, at most. I think on average, a customer will buy 1.5 products a year. And so it really didn't matter that we owned owned the customer. What mattered was that at the time, you know, we could spend a ton of money on Facebook efficiently on a $250 product for $80 cats. At that moment, it's just arbitrage. arbitrage. Yeah. And and that point is so crucial. I'm sorry to cut you off. That like I would now look it away and say it's a terrible D2C product. Like it's gonna be heavy to ship and and you're not gonna have a meaningful LTV. And you, you know, you can have D2C as a part of the business, but it's never the way I would expect to grow a big version of Away, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at a big version like Away, you're selling it everywhere. Like you just lean into the fact that it's like the nicest version of a commodity product that you can get. And you can get that product on awaytravel.com. You can get that product on Amazon. You can get that product at select luggage retailers. You can get that product anywhere. It's, it would be foolish today to try to run that just need to see. I'm not sure actually what they're doing. Yeah, and then on, on the team front, it's a little misleading. It's like, it, it's just me today, full-time running, create a kind of a, an army of agencies and consultants and freelancers. But like on a day-to-day basis, I'm kind of the only person fully focused on our business, almost everyone that I work with has other things that they do, actually myself included, as, as you alluded to in the intro. And that that's the point. Like, it, I think you, a lot of these channels, you can scale without scaling internal headcount, you know, even instead. And that's one of the learnings of the last five years in D2C is that like, you don't need huge bloated teams to run Facebook ads, right? You probably need a good media buyer and you need like a bunch of diverse sources of creative, which does not lend it well, lend itself well to having an internal creative team. It lends itself well to having freelancers and creative agencies and people you're taking flyers on with like new content. And so, yeah, to answer the question, it's just me full time, maybe that'll change. But again, that doesn't mean it's just, I'm the only person that is producing work for create. It's just, I'm the only person that is a fixed cost for the company. I mean, that point still is the same in that respect. Like I always think even some of the notion of agency or in-house, like who cares? Like get the best people you can and try to and make it scale effectively. And your point is still right. Like you can manage a team of agencies and freelancers, like you said, and, and, it, and it can work really well. And, and those costs will all scale really well too. I think they'll, that there'll be some cap on how much you pay. You work with Kinship, right? I worked with Kinship. Yeah. And, and to that point, like, could I go and find an individual person to like execute the cost cap strategy? Maybe, but I'm not going to be saving much by bringing that person in the house. And they're only going to have reps at one brand. Like part of the value of working with someone like Kinship that at least they have a perspective on the world. They see that perspective play out across like 50 brands or however many clients they have. It's helpful that they can see what's happening across a bunch of different people, even if there's like marginally less control over their day-to-day activities or marginally less control over like, you know, I don't have like one-on-ones with uh, my media buyer three times a week, right? That's okay because you're essentially paying for the flexibility. You're paying for the fact that they're seeing this strategy play out across dozens of other brands and then can apply those learnings to you. Yeah, I think like as a specialized knowledge set that is sincerely helped by putting all of their time and effort into a narrower range of focus than what you can do as a business owner, right? Like, so it's like that, you know, kinship. And I think the same thing is true with, with CTC where, you know, I came from and I'm still technically a kind of a partner. It's like those guys, they've got a couple of strategic perspectives built based on the fact that they are in this lane and they've built up the institutional knowledge on how to do a few things really, really, really well. And that lends exceptionally well to like exactly what you've got, right? In, I mean, I think lean is almost too 
is not extreme enough of a word for one guy. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, it's not quite fair to really call it one person, but it's interesting. I mean, and I think, you know, a lot of people go and start D2C businesses now because like, oh, fun product, whatever. But the, what the reps give you over time that you've experienced is sort of the perspective on, okay, how the model really works relative to the product at the scale. And and like you said, right, there's a demand capture opportunity. There's no creatine in Whole Foods right now, right? So like there is potential growth on your ability to go omni-channel at some point. And I'm certainly pro-omni-channel in the right timing and the right sequencing for, for a D2C brand, you know? It's not really about like pure play D2C or something, but it's it's about what makes it a good way to launch, you know, and how to scale the business from there. So, okay, I let, t- tell me about your goals. What do you, where are you trying to get Create to? How big is the opportunity? What can you say about sort of where this is headed versus where it started? And I'm sure that was somewhere in the consideration of of all of the things you just laid out about what made you start it the way you did. Yeah, that's certainly changed over time. You mentioned this in the top. I have another thing that I do basically full time, which is work at Not Boring. Not Boring is a media and venture business. I write our weekly Friday newsletter, Weekly Dose of Optimism, and support my brother, Packy, and a bunch of other kind of business and content and investing endeavors. And so when I left my last job to join there, I am and was fully dedicated to doing that and kind of had this insight that like, hey, I think there's a creatine opportunity here some good branding, some like good distribution, some smart ads. I think I can build a really nice kind of like lifestyle cash flow business on the side as I do not boring. Like, let's just get a product list on Amazon. Let's just run some like Facebook ads on cost caps, whatever. I'll pull a few thousand dollars out of this a month, right? In a, in a couple of months in the year or whatever. True lifestyle business. When I got deeper and deeper into it, I was like, actually, I think this could be one of the bigger EPG brands in the world right now. When you look at like the exits in health and wellness supplements, those are some of the better outside of potentially makeup, some of the better CPG, B2C, whatever you want to call it, businesses, things like Athletic Greens, things like Vital Proteins, things like Element, which is not, hasn't had an exit, but is a, a huge business. I was like, oh, wow, we're sitting in this hot category. I think we've kind of backed our way into being the hottest brand within this category. I think this category is going to continue to grow. And once it does, not even just distribution expansion, but potential product expansion, a bunch of different opportunities. So all that to say, I think it changed from like, hey, let's just have a kind of business that I'm not putting my name behind. I'm not really talking about. I'm pulling a few thousand dollars a month out of it to fund my lifestyle, whatever, into, hey, let's turn this into one of the more recognizable one of the more ambitious CPG brands of, you know, this early 2020s period. Yeah, I think that what's very likely is that the goals will change again at some point. I always think a question about goals is really a question about what you believe today more than it is about like where the actual long term is. But I love that, like, because exactly what you said, right, you start it with that sort of lifestyle mentality, and then you start to see as things shape up, you get new information, and suddenly your goals change. I can see that too. And I think there's a like I, I, I understand your optimism about it. Like it make it makes it makes a lot of sense to me about yeah, it's easy to imagine product expansion as part of that, et cetera. Do you have a number that you are trying to get to? Uh, that you'll say? If you do if you do, you don't have to say it. But yeah. No, not really. I think like the number will kind of follow the opportunity. And I think the opportunity yeah. is pretty big. Whenever I talk to people that are, you know, a few years, a few tens of millions of dollars ahead of me in revenue, they always like the, the number one piece of advice is just like stay focused. They're if you truly have product market fit in one of these like CPG wellness products, you're going to be shocked how much room you have to run before you like 
you know, aggressive product expansion or aggressive distribution expansion. Like, like there is a ton of runway in people that want to feel healthier, have healthier lives, feel better on a day-to-day basis. And that's kind of what creatine does. And so kind of just letting that play out for the next couple of years before, you know, anything too crazy. When you, when you say room to run before you do aggressive product expansion or before or are you saying, is that, does that include aggressive product expansion and include aggressive channel expansion? So, of course, I'm always like, wow, I know how to make gummies. I have a gummy manufacturer that's one of the best in the world. Why don't I take every freaking compound in the world that I think is stigmatized and could benefit from gummification and get that out to market? I am tempted to do that every day. I can name seven different compounds that I want to put into gummies today and like start either extensions on or new brands on. And like the focus is like, no. You have this gold mine with creatine. There will always be the opportunity to put magnesium in a gummy, right? And potentially I'll do that, but like stay as focused on you can as making the creatine gummy opportunity as big as it. Like see that opportunity out before you lose focus. And like, I feel like as brands, especially within supplements, it's super enticing to do LTB expansion, right? You sell someone protein powder, then you're selling them beef liver capsules, and then you're selling them greens juices, right? And that's certainly a business model, but it's also a way to quickly commoditize yourself as a supplement seller. And then you're fighting against the 50 other supplement platforms out there. And that generally turns into a fight of who has the company with the best connections or the biggest celebrity endorsements or the exclusive deals with Andrew Huberman, right? And so how can we stay out of that battle and just focus almost singularly, at least in the next you know, X amount of months or years on seeing through that we are the creatine gummy that people choose when they take a creatine gummy. Super interesting. I have a lot of questions about that, but I've been struck by the dynamic you're talking about with uh, Athletic Greens, where it's really built around this core product. And that's it, you know? And then, I mean, I don't, I don't have any clue what the revenue makeup is. I actually... Never even, I don't even know if they make other products besides AG1, but like, that's the thing I think of. And then heart and soil, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, this delivery of specifically organ supplements and that's the, that's the thing. And you're right. Like so much in supplements is they go towards expansion of a whole bunch of other categories. And I, and you're, and it is interesting too. Like part of it is, is even, it's not even motivated entirely by LTV and revenue. It's like, I think partly people just see their customer could benefit from these things and they, they, they want to help. You, know? They're like, you need to be taking organ pills. Like it's good for you Go do it. or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a combination of, of the two opportunities at the same time, you know, for some of these people. So how do you maintain, well, I'll let you respond to that. You look like you're going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah. When I, when I think of AG1 and I'm, I'm like guilty of this as well. I think of that, you know, that meme of like the distribution curve of it's like the Jedi and the dumb person in the middle, it's like the person who's trying to over-explain it. I feel like on the two ends of that meme distribution is AG1 just sells, or Athletic Green just sells AG1. And in the middle of that, like at the top of that bell curve, the person trying to over-complexify the situation, it's like, why isn't AG1 selling on Amazon? There's such a huge Amazon opportunity. Why aren't they selling on Walmart? Couldn't they do like a protein shake and trying to over like add so much complexity to their business where it turns out that like almost everyone in the world can benefit from drinking a green juice. And that's a huge opportunity. And why put that at risk by selling like 
a million other things. Right. Yeah. A worse yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. This is a really interesting comment that, about like how much runway you have as part of the issue here. People, I think, do underestimate that. There's just like a lot, a lot more people than you think who are your customer. And so just figuring out how to keep going and drilling into that as effectively as possible. It's literally crazy. And I know this is going to sound dumb to people listening, but just like scroll through your customer names on a day and realize that you don't know one of those freaking people. Like you don't know, not one of those people have you ever interacted with. You're probably at closest, like three degrees of separation away from them. There's just a surprisingly a lot of people out there <laughs> buying stuff online. And so, yeah, I would say like chase down, capture as many of those people rather than over expanding yourself. And of course, like exceptions to the rule and all that. But Yeah. 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 I do think this is actually one of the problems with like, like people like me, which is people who are tweeting stuff about things they're seeing working and recording podcasts with people who are saying like, oh, did you see how much revenue I did organically without spending a single dollar on meta? And then also like people who are saying like, you absolutely have to use cost controls. And, and then here's exactly the creative. Like there's actually too many ideas. And, and it's sort of the industry of people trying to help you get better is actually sort of working against this. And somebody sees a product development win massively change their business. And then they're like, oh, you got to go develop more products too. Or, you know, and so it is, it is part of the challenge of staying focused. And I do think it's one of the most, actually the commitment to lean OpEx has a secondary, it's almost, almost an externality of it, is that if you commit to lean OpEx as core to your business model in D2C, it will force you to not do too many things, which is, which is its own value actually, that you, you, you have to stay focused because you just have just committed to keeping your SG&A pretty low. And so there's some value there. But yeah, it, it, I think it's a really helpful comment that you're making here, which is like, there's just a ton more space than you think by making your product better and better all the time to your core customer and making doing that one thing really, really well, and then just telling the world about it as effectively as possible with the marketing channels that you have. I think, I think you're right. There's, there's a lot of opportunity to doing that really well. One additional piece on that is that like, for most of these brands, that hero product, that core product, is the acquisition product anyway. So like the expansion is not an acquisition story. It's not increasing the total size of potential customers. It's potentially increasing LTV if you nail it, right? Like how many brands are actually really good at introducing that second? Like there's so many strategy decks where it's like, hey, we're going to introduce, for us, it would be like protein powder, right? Because if you take creatine, you also need to be taking protein powder and if we just convert 10% of our customers to protein powder, that's an, another $200 of LTV. It never fucking works. Excuse me. It never works. In very few cases, does it work if it's not like super, super well ex executed? And part of that's just that like Meta picks the product that is going to drive conversion most efficiently. And that's usually the product that people associate with your brand. It's usually your hero product. So anyway. So I have a client right now that is very likely going to need to bring some resources to its team on the supply chain and inventory forecasting management side of things. And I'm going to tell you right now, the very first place I'm going to tell them to look is into the Philippines with my friends at More Staffing. I no longer understand why people don't do this. There is incredible talent in the Philippines. And if that's what you're looking for, great talent, to add to your business, if that's what you're looking for, then you should be looking in the Philippines because it will expand your access to incredibly e-commerce talent just like you would find in other places, right? So if, if that's all you're trying to do, you just wanna find the best talent for your business, 
go look at the Philippines. Like there's incredibly commerce talent there. But there's another benefit to this, which is that you will pay less for that talent on a US basis and more for that talent in the Philippines, which means more in the Philippines relative to other opportunities in the Philippines. That means both sides of this equation win. And also it means that you're going to attract the best quality of the talent pool in the Philippines because you will pay more than local options. And so it is a win-win, like I said, across the board. You should do that with help from my friends at More Staffing by going to morenow.co to go do that. More Staffing will help you recruit. They will help you onboard. They will do ongoing coaching and training for team members from the Philippines who speak incredible English and are willing to work on your work hours. And so, yeah, if those are concerns for you, they should not be. You should go pursue that talent. And you should do it with my friends at More Staffing who are really, really good at this. They've done this for e-commerce businesses that they started themselves. Their founder, uh, co-founder was in the US, started running an e-commerce business, added a bunch of talent from the Philippines, learned how good it could be for his business, how much of a win it was across the board, found team members he loves working for and promoting and doing all the usual stuff with for a team. It's just a giant win. And there's no reason, like I said, you shouldn't start your search for great talent for your business in the Philippines. My friends at More Staffing, go do it, morenow.co. Yeah, it's really hard to escape the message that you first told people about, you know, like it actually like protein isn't the same as creatine. And so like if you are a creatine brand, it's going to be really hard to suddenly tell people like our protein's good too. They, I think they will experience it in most cases, unless your brand is lots of stuff, unless that's what the brand is. People are going to experience it as a tack on product or as a secondary thing and not the thing you really care most about, et cetera, you know, and you're totally right. Like people... The marketing you've put in, the millions of dollars you've spent and the emails you've sent and all those things telling people about, let's take your case, your creatine, your creatine, your creatine, your creatine, it actually did have some effect. People did start to then form an opinion about what your brand is. And so unless you really can use that as like a secondary, like a secondary product as a true new acquisition tool, which I have almost never seen work, <laughs> then I just don't, I don't see really how it's going to add a lot. And by the other thing is it's a it's a brain drain like if you all the time you spend in developing that second or third product could be spent making your core product better and there's probably some limit to where how much better you can make your core product and and all that but it's it's also probably also farther out than people think you know there's some way in which you can if you think more about how to solve a customer's problem and less about how do i do ltv expansion by adding another thing to get them to buy you know that second product is almost never coming from a place of true service to the customer. It's almost always coming from a place of we want to expand LTV and therefore the products aren't as good and people can feel it. Yeah, I fully agree right now. And I, my mind on this could totally change. Like, yeah. we're all psychopaths out here. I could have this opinion on like, no, you need to have a core singular product and then next week, like, you know, develop a new product and like be really excited about bringing it to market. And that that's part of the challenge. So. Well, and I think, but I think that's what this exercise is, which is like, Someone should listen to this part of the conversation and go, wait a minute, is that what I need to be doing? And just sort of apply it to their business. And then maybe they go, no, actually, I do need to do product expansion. You know, like it's just it's like it's just a push on one side of your brain to go like, am I sure this is the right use of my effort? You know, talk to me about your strategy. How are you going to how are you going to build a big creatine business that is profitable and that is worth selling? I've started that with going D to C meta ads heavy cost caps that kind of approach this gets sort of between strategy and blurs the line between strategy and tactics a little bit but but when you think about getting to uh to making it the kind of business that you mentioned earlier where your goals have changed and you can see a really big opportunity 
What do you think the keys to doing that effectively are to get from point A to point B there? Yeah. So I think there's kind of like macro and, and micro in terms of what we can do. So I think macro is like crew teams having a moment. I don't see that moment going anywhere. The opportunity, the size of the pie is just going to continuously increase seemingly every day. There's new research coming out about its benefits and who it's right for, right? Like I, I think in five years, everyone over 65 years old is going to be taking creatine. Virtually nobody today <laughs> over 65 years old is like, hey, I'm going to, I need my creatine today. I think that's going to change. And so that's kind of the macro. Like I think the opportunity, the size of it is just going to be the, the demand curve, ride that. I think how we ride that successfully is we establish ourselves as the most credible brand in the space. And there's a two, there's a couple of ways to do that. One is just from like a regulatory, a third-party certification, a testing, invest in all the things that it doesn't make sense for other brands to invest in because it's either a, a secondary product or they don't have the head start to be able to spend $50,000 on some like NSF for sports certification or something like that. So kind of like dig the, the trenches via certification, testing, kind of taking the AG1 approach on that front where it's like, let's just do the things that these upstart brands are not willing to invest in that builds trust with customers. And then I think just from, um, from like a, a marketing perspective and like first mover advantage, we've all heard this, like Facebook, you know, well, this is another thing, applying big tech strategy to D2C brands is a, is a dumb man's game, but I'll just, I'll just do it anyway. Please, while you do this, also compare yourself to Nike, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll compare myself to Nike and then I'll use Amazon strategy because they also sell online to one-to-one -one run my business. Perfect. But like Facebook wasn't the first search social network. Google wasn't the first search engine, blah, blah, blah. In something like consumer products, it actually does help to have a first mover advantage to some extent, right? Because you're going to rank higher on search results. You're going to have, for example, for us, like, there's tons of creatine gummy copycats coming out right now. That sucks. Kind of. Maybe it's potentially like a rising tide lifts all boats. They'll be driving top of funnel and hopefully we'll capture it. But like one, a creatine gummy brand right now, probably gonna have a pretty tough time, like an upstart creatine gummy brand, probably gonna have a pretty tough time raising money, the money needed to like make a pretty good go at it. What you're like the fourth creatine gummy brand out there. Like I had a really tough time doing it as the first one, right? Second, like there's a brand that like sent me, some guy sent me an email being like, hey, like thanks for, for sharing in public. Like we're now coming after you. We're launching in October. This was back in like July. It's like, buddy, and I mean this in the least, in the most condescending way, we're going to be doing in <laughs> subscription revenue, like fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 more than you like on the day you launch. Like good luck catching up. We're just going to outspend you. Um, and I, like, I don't mean that in a, a, a douchey way or anything, it's just like the nature of these businesses that subscription revenue is super helpful in funding investment in the rest of the business. And so, yeah, I think those two things, like how do we dig kind of trenches around our credibility and trust with customers via things like certification and regulation, third-party testing. And then two, how do we kind of fill in those trenches with subscription revenue with repeat customer revenue that allows us to continue to aggressively acquire customers. Yeah, I I mean that's really helpful. That's those answers were strategy answers, not tactics answers, mostly. And I think 
that's the right kind of answer here because the tactics are going to change all the time depending on sort of what's hot and what works at a minute at, at, at a moment you know tomorrow meta will make a change that makes cost caps a stupid strategy or tactic you know so today they made a change that that made cost caps actually potentially a not stupid strategy. like i hope i hope asc plus on cost caps works i feel like there's entire cottage industry betting the farm on the fact that like asc on cost caps is going to save their business uh, me being one of them um but yeah we'll see yeah yeah well i mean but either way right that's emblematic of the kind of thing that that can change really fast but the strategy notion and i think i actually think the comment you're making about investing in certification stuff i mean i've been in the room for conversations about people with people going like 50 grand for that i don't know because because you just can't you just can never justify that 50 grand as something that's going to produce a two to one return in a month or something like that. You know, it's really hard to do that. You have to be thinking about it from a longer term brand building kind of standpoint for that to make sense. But from that perspective, it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense to go and do that and to, and to set yourself aside. I think, I think it does. I, I like the idea quite a bit of saying like, we are going to do that. I mean, clearly to me in supplements, part of the deal is that nobody actually knows what goes into this stuff. And the way that you separate yourself is that you win trust from customers in unique, in unique ways. That's the whole point of AG1 paying or Athletic Greens paying every single person alive to, you know, to rep their product and and get the people on your boards and all those kinds of things. So it makes a lot of sense that trust is the barrier in supplements. And so anything you can do to spend on that, it's going to set you up for the longer term. I, I like that point a lot. You look going to say something again about that. Yeah, I mean, like we've had to turn down those trust building initiatives or investments in the first year of the business because it doesn't make economic sense. Until it does, right? Until you're trying to pull up the ladder. But as you're like kind of building the ladder, it doesn't make sense to take $50,000 and invest in like NSF. But when you get to the point where you can afford it and you have NSF, which means you can work with professional athletes and no other creatine gummy brand is going to be working with professional athletes, it then is kind of like a compounding return yeah. on, on that 50000 that makes it seem like very minimal. And then on the, like, especially within supplements where IP protection is virtually impossible, like you, what you're protecting is your brand. What you're protecting is the trust that you've built with the customer. And so where other companies may be investing in, you know, trademark protection and formulation protection and all that, it's like super hard to do and protect in, in supplements. So we've just taken the approach of let's take that money and invest in building trust with customers. Yeah. Yeah. I like it ask you one other question where what got you from zero to here what's been the core besides the product being good the category being good can you just sort of break down the journey a little bit you've, you've done this in a lot of tweets and you should definitely go follow dan on twitter to go get a sense of this you know you do a lot of tweets sort of outlining tactics and outlining very specific types of things but i'm curious when you think about the initial part of the journey uh, you raised some money which is people have sort of mixed feelings about in e-com, I think for a supplement brand with a long, with a longer timeline to profitability and a profitable contribution margin, it makes all the sense in the world to have raised money. So you can talk about that if you want as part of the strategy, because you just gave me a big smile about that. But there is a weird fetishization of bootstrapping, I think. But yeah, what, what got you from from zero to, to you know, half a million dollars in a month? Yeah, certainly a weird black and white, right? Like nothing is black and white. And like the fact that you're a quote unquote like yeah. bootstrap brand versus a venture back brand, like it's an oversimplification, right? Do I think that like you need to be selling 
30% of your company pre-revenue to some VC fund that has like misaligned incentives? No, I think that's, you know, potentially a, a bad treadmill to get on. Do I think there's something like overly unique about owning by bootstrapping your, your business? Like, no, I think that that's a really tough path and like probably lowers your probability of having a successful outcome down the line because like, this, especially for first time founders, especially for people with like, this is a grind, right? Like every day is a grind. And so if you're not really able to pull any money out of the business for the first three years, the chance that you're going to stick with it and not get distracted by other money-making opportunities, not make it like a side hustle versus your main thing. I think, again, just like lowers the probability of success. More power to you if you're able to own 100% of your business. But I think it probably makes things much harder in the beginning. Like I think raising a few 100%. hundred thousand yeah like a few hundred thousand dollars to like you know selling somewhere between five to fifteen percent of your business in order to kind of find product market fit and consumer to me seems to make sense that i don't know maybe there's somebody that found product market fit and could bootstrap it from day one more power to them but yeah so as you said raise a little bit of money to get the product to market to build the brand initially I think kind of like some things that have gone right besides like the fact that it's just a daily, I get up and focus on creatine gummies every day, seven days a week, right? Like I'd said this before, no one else is spending their Sunday nights like obsessing over creatine gummies. And probably we shouldn't have too many people in the world doing that. (laughs) It's, it's, we probably only need like two to three, but like that's what I do. Bearing that burden for the people. Bearing that, yeah, yeah, right. Like, I I think it's actually a a pretty bad outcome for humanity if like hundreds of really smart people are dedicating their time to creatine gummies. Yeah. And so, besides that kind of daily grind, I think like, you know, Meta has worked really well for us from a tactical point of view. I think subscriptions being like a core focus of the business from day one and has been super helpful in getting from zero to like over 500K a month. Not necessarily, yes, because of the revenue, but also just because that subscription revenue has allowed us to continuously invest in acquisition. I think just like picking, I kind of view my job as like picking the right partners, right? Like I don't, the way I've set up the company, I don't kind of focus my time on like, how do I run the most efficient one-on-ones with my team? How do I like have a culture deck? How do I run a really good like weekly meeting? That's not how I spend my time. It's like, how do I spend my time prioritizing what the business needs and then going out and finding who the best in class partners are to fill that gap. And so I think like tactically, it's just been, you know, building the distributed team of agencies, operators, freelancers, et cetera, over the past year that like now makes it seem like we have kind of a cohesive engine working. Yeah. I think that those three things like meta just kind of being relatively efficient subscriptions and finding the right partners to continuously take down pieces of the business that I think are driving it forward or should be driving it forward are the three things that got us from zero to where we are. Yeah. Really helpful perspective on that. And I, um, I agree with all of it from what I see in businesses in your stage and, and, and all of that makes tons of sense. Okay. My last question for you, Dan, is there any one or two things, whatever, basically that's floating to the top of your mind in terms of observations about D2C businesses right now, you actually have sort of a series of, uh, dump thoughts and tweets that sort of do this very effectively. Seriously, I've got one, you know, use email scrapers, uh, you're not Amazon, test raising your prices, charge for shipping, etc. There's some of that kind of stuff. So it could be that specific and tactical. 
it could be a bigger picture. But I'm just almost everybody I've been around who is spending all their time thinking about how to grow D2C businesses has something that is sort of floating to the top of their mind about about their business that is interesting. And so I'm just curious sort of if there's anything like that for you right now that you're thinking about the most that's like, oh, this is eating up my mind share or eating it up, but just floating to the top of your mind. Yeah, I do that like Friday econ dump where I share all my like, semi-controversial, nothing in econ is that controversial, right? Just within our yeah. small small circles. But so I, I do that Friday econ dump. I think what's top of mind for me, just like October 10th, 2023 is we seem to be having somewhat of uh, arbitrage moment in TikTok shops. TikTok is prioritizing it. They're boosting videos that are linking to shops. You can then, you know, layer on paid media on top of some of that top performing content and get like ridiculous ROAS. It's not something we've executed well to date, but like these arbitrage moments in e-commerce are like kind of what build these brands. Like if you go back to all the successful brands, it's like they had one thing that they really took advantage of hard. And so I try my best to stay on top of when those moments arise and at least try to make a go at it. I think we're kind of going through that with TikTok. I'm not a huge fan of TikTok as a platform or a company or what they stand for, but I think there's probably a marketing arbitrage that like is at least worth exploring. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking about today, October 10th. Today, October 10th is exactly the spirit of the question. It's like, what just what is it today? Well, who knows what it'll be tomorrow? That's great. Okay, great. I, I love that. I've heard the same things. I spend no money in the vein of focus. I spend no money for my clients on TikTok uh, because I don't, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's a, a help perspective for somebody who, who does that. So, all right. Anything to promote? I, everybody watching or listening to this absolutely should go subscribe to the Not Boring newsletter. Is it actually two subscriptions or one? I don't know. I have both, but weekly dose of options. Is that its own newsletter? No, same subscription. So Tuesdays okay, you'll all get right. like, a 10,000 word essay from my brother on God knows what. Fridays, you'll get <laughs> kind of a more concise kind of links and, and bullets of news stories from the week. But yeah, just notboring.co, you can subscribe. You'll probably hear yeah. very little about creatine gummies, and it's going to be weird yeah. that I'm writing it. But Nah, it's excellent. Here's the thing, everybody listening and watching this, the world is getting a lot better. This is a hard time to say that because there's a lot of hard things going on in the world at the same time. And yet, and there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the world, even alongside that. And in a lot of ways, it's very obvious that there's uh, massive amounts of overcoming of disease and people being lifted out of poverty and all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening and is worth exploring. And I subscribe to a couple of newsletters that give you a view to this sort of thing. One of them is the Weekly Dose Pop from Dan, and it's really good. So go and subscribe to that. It's free. So you should do that. And then I think it's free, right? Am I paying for it? And I didn't know. It's free, right? No, no, completely free. Okay, great. I was going to have to go update my subscriptions. Okay, so and then and then go check out go check out Create and get some creatine gummies. You should be taking creatine. You should. It's just clear at this point that you should be doing that. So go subscribe to that. And on top of that, definitely follow Dan on Twitter. He is building much more publicly than many people who say they're building publicly. Like I saw a recent tweet that is literally a month-by-month revenue chart from the brand. So people... For some reason, feel really weird about sharing this sort of stuff publicly. I, I never know why. Like, I, it's, it's like, what are they afraid of? I guess they're afraid of the, the guy who DMs you and says, thanks for sharing. I'm getting into this business. But whatever. Who cares? Dude, more, more power to anyone that, like, can take yeah. my revenue chart and then turn that into motivation to, like, care about creating gummies 24-7 and, and no. like, build a business. More power to yeah. them. Yeah. All the links for all those things, of course, are in the show notes and you should go follow them and go follow Dan and learn more. Dan, thanks so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. 
All right, thanks so much for watching, for listening another episode of the show. Next week on the show, I have some musings about agency pricing. This is a conversation I see come up every couple of weeks or so, and or probably every couple of months. Gets kicked around on Twitter and e-commerce field, a bunch of places. And I have thoughts. I've been on both sides of this equation. I've been on the agency side a bunch. I've been on the brand side a bunch. And I feel like I have a good understanding of what the best model for agency pricing is for people running your ad accounts. And I'm going to give it to you next week on the show. So don't miss that. Do follow up in all the places that I mentioned with Dan. Of course, they are all in the show notes. This was a great conversation. I thought I just told him, like, you know, I wanted to talk to him for five hours, like I think I said. And and it's because he's just a, a smart guy. You can just tell when somebody sort of gets it. They have a real deep knowledge of all the elements of what it means to run a D2C business. And that was definitely my sense of Dan, who I don't know well, but have followed for a little while on Twitter. So I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you did, would you pass that to somebody who also would enjoy it? That is the number one way you could say thank you to me if you like my content. I really appreciate it when you'll do that. The number two way you can do that, of course, is to rate and review the show. And wherever you are listening to or watching this, that is a great help as well. All the usual places are there for you to follow up with me. Also in the show notes, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. You can also email me at podcast at ajfgrowth.com. Uh, you know, you know how to get a hold of me. Everything is at ajfgrowth.com and you can go get that there. Thanks so much as always for watching and for listening. As I said, I really do appreciate it. I really do try to deliver as much value as I can week in and week out on this show. It matters a lot to me to do that. So when I hear from you that that's been the case or when you give me feedback to help make that better, it means a lot. Thank you so much. I will talk to you next time. Bye.